You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good evening, guys. Hope you're doing great. Hope you're ready for us to open God's Word tonight. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to the book of Philippians. If uh, you're new here this evening, over the, well, since the start of term, since the start of our evening services, we have been on a journey through the book of Philippians. It's a letter written by a guy called Paul to a church. The church is in a place called Philippi, and um, it's been amazing, hasn't it, just to unpack what God was saying through this radical Jesus follower called Paul, who in a previous life um, was essentially employed to persecute and murder Christians, and Jesus met him. And his whole life got flipped upside down as he encountered the risen, living Jesus. And he then went on to write about two-thirds of the New Testament plant loads and loads of churches and made more of an impact for the gospel of Jesus than um, most human beings ever. It's remarkable. And uh, I just love that if you want your life to make a difference, um, having an encounter with Jesus is the way to go about it. So uh, we are here, we are in Philippians chapter 4, and I'd love to read a few verses um, from verse 5 through to the end of the Bible. No, I'm joking. Um, So we're going to start in verse 5, I think. Yeah, Uh, and this is what it says. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen um, in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let me pray before we start. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a, a light unto our path and it is truth. It is absolutely true and you've given it to us because you love us. And we pray, God, tonight as we just explore these verses, particularly around anxiety, Father, that you would meet us in the midst of it, that you would speak to us and that we would encounter a little bit of your goodness and life um, to us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are, I'm talking about anxiety. I don't know if you've uh, been familiar with the Bible. If you are unfamiliar with the Bible, it's amazing to have you. Um, this is one of, I would say, the most famous few passages or verses on the topic of anxiety um, in the whole Bible. There's a whole load of them, but this, I would say, is probably the number one. It's like the number one verse, particularly that verse, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, place your request before God. Uh, and the God of peace, uh, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is like, um, if you've been to like a, grew up in church, this is one of those fridge magnets you, verses you'd have on your fridge, like a famous one. Uh, it is one of the most um, famous verses on anxiety. Um, 
And today I want to explore that a little bit, but I wanted to remind you or or tell you, if you weren't here earlier in the year, maybe you're a new student, we did a series in May on emotional health and mental health. And um, it was it was quite a long series, and we had experts share. We did interviews. Uh, we had John and Joni speak. It was absolutely brilliant. All the uh, kind of series on all the kind of sermons on emotional and mental health from May are on our website. So I really encourage you to head to our podcast or YouTube and watch some of those, particularly if what I say tonight strikes a chord um, with you. So before we kind of unpack the passage, I want to tell you a real-life parable, if that's okay. A bit of a story of our recent anxiety. I would say it was a great anxiety. This happened just last weekend. Um, I don't know if you know, we hosted the Grow Baby Conference, and I led worship at the conference. And um, I'm at the conference, and my mum, who is part of a church down south, she was at the conference as well. Grow Babies in ministry serving um, family, young families giving them whatever they need, basically. It's amazing ministry. And we're hosting the National Conference for Grow Baby. And I get a text message from Hannah, who I would say in this um, story, this parable, she was the anxious presence, okay? She was the anxious presence. And she messaged me and says, Josh, I've had a complete nightmare. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? What's happened? She said, Ivy, that's my daughter, she's just turned two, she's drawn on your mum's handbag. And it's a very posh handbag. Um, It's leather, and Hannah's freaking out. She's completely freaking out. Now, there's a bit of context. I don't think my mum's here tonight. Okay. Uh, she's, She's looking after Ivy at the minute at her house. So... There's a bit of context to this. We were on holiday the week before, and Ivy drew on, they were in Airbnb, beautiful Airbnb. Ivy drew on the table and the sofa. And, it, and, and there were meltdowns, there were family dis- discussions. That I won't go into details, but, but it, was, it was pretty traumatic. And um, the bottom line was, Ivy must never draw on anything. That's the context. There was a lot of anxiety about this. We spent all night trying to wash the sofa covers in this Airbnb. It ruined the end of the holiday. I had a big argument. But anyway, fast forward to the week after, and Ivy has drawn on my mum's posh handbag. So I said, okay, don't worry. My mum was staying here at the Grow Baby Conference all day. So I nipped back home after lunch to find Hannah in tears. And she was genuinely crying, like sobbing. She said the, the phrase, Ivy, are you committed to ruining my relationship with your mother? With your grandmother? She's completely freaking out. And I said to Ivy, Ivy, what have you done? And she said, I draw on Nanny's bag. And she confessed, sweet, which was, which was nice. But we were then full. Anxiety was like living in our home. So we then move into control mode. Have you ever experienced anxiety and gone into trying to control the situation? So here's what Hannah made me do. I then had to start scrubbing the bag with um, some basic water. And then we moved on to some... Um, washing up liquid, a little bit of clean water. It wasn't coming out. We didn't want to do too much because we didn't want to change the, the bag and then it would look even worse. Then I had to leave and I had to go to a local cobbler's, which was a leather maker. They, they do shoes and everything. I took the bag and I took Ivy. And I said, listen, my daughter has drawn in biro on this leather bag. Can you help? And he got his little tool out and we spent a long time and he was like, no, I'm not sure. So that wasn't, that wasn't working. Then I had to go to um, a cleaning shop. <laughs> 
And I had to go and say, have you got some leather cleaner because I need some serious help? My wife's at home crying her eyes out. And here is Ivy. She did, Ivy, what did you do? And she's like, I drew on the bag. We're like, well, good girl for confessing, but it was still very, very naughty. And so we buy two different kinds of leather maker, go home, try a little bit on a patch, which is, is invisible. It seems to work. Then we do some more effort on that. Um, and then Hannah's still not happy. She's still crying. So then I put an offer in on an eBay bag for replacement. And I want to say the biro was literally like a centimeter. Anyway, so Hannah's really worked up. She's anxious all afternoon, and I'm absorbing the anxiety, and it's not fun. This is our Sabbath day rest. This is our time to delight in God and have fun and relax and chill. And we're just being completely robbed from that enjoyable Saturday as a family because of this experience, full of anxiety. And then at about 4.30, my mum comes home. And I grab Ivy by the hand. And I still blame Hannah for this, actually, because she was in control of Hannah. And we walked Hannah out, and I said, Mum, Ivy has something to tell you. And I didn't say it. Ivy didn't say it. And I said to Ivy, what what have you done? She said, draw on Nanny's bag. And Mum was understandably very relaxed about it. And Mum said, well, let me have a look at the bag. And we showed her, and she said, that's been there for years, Josh. And then she was like, did you see Ivy with the pen? And Hannah was like, I can't remember (laughs) at this point. So the punchline is the pen stain was already on the bag. We had experienced a day of awful anxiety and worry and control and reactivity and blame. And it was insubstantial. I would say we experienced anxiety in a nutshell. Crippling worry and fear and internal dread, which then bled out to affect our home life, to affect our minds, to affect um, our lives and our relationships. And in the end, there was no substance to it at all. And I want to talk about anxiety. And I'm not really going to delve into the depths of anxiety uh, as a topic, but I want us to focus on what it looks like as followers of Jesus to live in an anxious world, but to live as a non-anxious presence, a non-anxious presence. How many of you know that we live in an anxious age? If I was to ask everyone in this room to raise their hand if they've experienced feelings of anxiety, I doubt there would be a hand left down. Our world is anxious. We're anxious about many things. Our health, our finances, financial crisis at the minute, our our families, our future, our studies, war and conflict. We are weighed down by with anxiety over people's expectations of us, people's opinions about us. We're trapped by insecurities which then bleed out onto our relationships and our interactions. Wounds from the past go unhealed and end up dictating our future lives. We live in a digital age and we are bombarded on our phones with cultural narratives, worldly ideals, relentless news. And big business designs adverts to take advantage of our anxieties in order to profit from our fears and worries and insecurities. How many of you know that they create headlines which draw hits, which give them advertising revenue? So your anxieties are literally monetized. 
The anxiety that we live with has been monetized. Alongside that, we encountered just a few years ago a global pandemic. People are still reeling from. There was a season of great trauma and change and pain and grief, which for many of us brought our deep inner anxieties to the surface and had a huge impact on our emotional well-being. We were isolated from community. We were confronted by our worst fears. We experienced loss in a very real way. Our world today is lonelier, more fearful, and more anxious than ever before, and needs, I would say, more than ever, men and women, leaders, Christians, followers of Jesus, to live in the midst of all of that, but live as non-anxious presences in every area of life. Now, let me talk about anxiety for a little bit. Um, the term non-anxious presence was termed by, coined by a man called Edwin Friedman. He was a therapist, he was a, a rabbi, a theologian, and he studied anxiety for many, many, many years in thousands of cases. And Friedman identified a five-step self-perpetuating cycle of anxiety. And he kind of called it the stages of Anxiety, And I was reading about it the last week or two, and I thought it was really helpful for us to frame the journey or the stages of what the anxious cycle looks like. So if we could have a slide up, and I'll just talk us through it. We're going to start here, number one. The first step, as it were, of an anxious moment or an anxious thought pattern or the anxiety cycle is reactivity. It's reacting to something that has been said. It's being triggered by something that has been said. Um, or something that you've read online, or, or an environment, or even an atmosphere that you can sense. It's kicked off by a culture of reactivity where we constantly react to the external circumstances of life. So we live at the mercy of the 24-7 news roster or are constantly changing emotionally and politically charged social media stream or our friends' drama Something happens that is outside of ourselves and we feel ourselves pulled towards it. And these external events bring with them the anxiety and fear and outrage from others which then get transplanted onto us and makes its way into us. And if we're not careful, we become sponges for the anxiety of the world and adopt a culture of reaction instead of peace. The second step is what Friedman called herding. Another way to say this is mob mentality. It's ironic in our incredibly and increasingly individualistic culture, but there seems to be something hardwired into humanity to follow. And herding is incredibly common and incredibly harmful, and we see this play out massively on social media. There's an author and a pastor in Australia called Mark Sayers, who wrote a great book called A Non-Anxious Presence, and he describes herding as becoming emotionally fused to everyone else. Interesting. The third step, then, is blame culture. So playing the blame game. So instead of dealing with our anxiety, naming the emotion, asking deep down questions about what has triggered us and why, we often retreat into a victim state and blame the external forces around us for what is happening in us. We tend to focus on the symptoms of the problem, not the problem itself. 
And so what happens when we play the blame game is that we kind of devolve ourselves of any responsibility to fix the parts of our lives that we are able to change. The fourth step is quick fix mentality, which is instant gratification. We know we don't feel good on the inside. It's their fault, and I want to try to find a way to make my bad feelings go away as quickly as possible. The problem with this quick fix mentality is that it doesn't really fix the problem, and instead it fuels all sorts of addictions, from food addiction to pornography, which then in turn makes us spiral even more, and it breeds in our generation a low threshold for pain. Like we're always looking for the silver bullet to make my pain go away. Which finally leads us to step five, which is that it produces anxious leaders or just anxious people. And this basically means that the anxiety cycle grows people and leaders who lose any sense of boundaries between this is me and this is you. We then absorb emotions and anxiety and energy and fears and emotions from around us and we lose control over our inner world. And this creates people who live in a world of anxiety. And none of this is to shame anyone about living with anxiety. I myself have struggled with feelings of anxiety for a long time and still do. This is simply to highlight the reality of what is going on when we're experiencing these emotions. And Friedman himself says the only way to stop the cycle is to inject into the center a non-anxious presence. What do I mean by a non-anxious presence? Well, I would say a non-anxious presence is someone who, a man or a woman who is calm who live at peace with themselves and at peace with the world around them, who are present to God and present to people who live above the fray, who don't pass the buck or shed blame, who are able to step into anxious moments with a peace and a resolve to do the right thing, who refuse to absorb others' anxieties and instead offer peace and hope. Who, are, who say, look, I am here, and I'm here to offer a life at peace, a calm, wise, non-anxious presence. And I want to submit to us today that this is the kind of people that Jesus wants us to become, and in fact, will help us to become for the sake of our anxious world. I believe that there'll be people all around every single one of us all the time racked with anxiety that they cannot see a way out of. And I believe that through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, we have hope in the midst of this. So let me just read again the first few verses of Philippians 4, and then we will explore some characteristics for a non-anxious presence. Verse 5 says this, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, what a ridiculous thing to say 
to us in our world when basically every single one of us experiences anxiety, particularly in the emerging generation, those that are students up to, I'd say, late 20s, Gen Z. John Mark Comer, who um, wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and a number of others, a pastor in the States, amazing guy. He comments on our cultural moment today, and he said, Gen Z, which is many of you guys here in this room, Gen Z is marked by a generation-wide epidemic of anxiety. And if you're a student, you probably relate to this. He also says that mental health issues on uni campuses is a global Western problem. I was speaking to, uh, just yesterday at a wedding, a lecturer and a pastor who said, um, every student I meet has anxiety. Every student I meet has anxiety. Every student. I was so struck by that. Is there anything that we can do? to step into this moment and offer hope. Paul here tells us, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. It sounds so impossible. And yet, what if it isn't? Would Jesus ever offer us something that was completely unattainable? Could it be that Jesus himself invites every single one of us in this room into a way of life where we are no longer dominated by our emotions, where our nights and our days are not stolen by anxiety, where our peace isn't robbed by the enemy of worry. Could it be that there is another way to live? Paul says this, do not be anxious about anything. Now, if you've missed the start of the journey through, Ephesians, uh, journey through Philippians, sorry, let me set some context. Paul himself is, under, is in prison under the threat of execution. He is on death row. His future is uncertain. His life may end at any moment. He's living in great discomfort, pain, persecution. He's living right now in a place that so many of us will never be able to understand. If anyone has a reason to live in a world of anxiety, it is Paul. If ever there was a place designed to discourage and dishearten and destroy our spirits, it's a Roman prison. And yet we see Paul in these verses offer us a life free from anxiety in the kingdom of God. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. So how can we live as a non-anxious presence in our life? Well, I think Paul gives us three keys to this. Um, And I've, I've done it in three Ps. So it's helpful. So if you're making notes, write this down. Firstly, presence. Secondly, prayer. And thirdly, peace. And again, I would say this itself isn't a silver bullet. In fact, it's a lifestyle of spending life with our creator, being connected to him and going on a journey through anxiety, which so many of us struggle. So the first tip and uh, guidepost, I would say, that Paul brings to us here is the Lord is near presence. The Lord is near. Now, I think in the translation that we read, our our Bible translators did possibly a bit of a disservice to us. We sometimes forget that when Paul wrote the letter, he didn't put in chapters and verses. You're aware of that? We put that in at a much later date. Paul didn't write, this is going to be verse 3 and this is going to be verse 4. And so we've implemented verses and chapters to help divide up longest passages of Scripture to make it more helpful. And it's very, very, very helpful. But this was a letter, and originally this would have been read, the whole book of Philippians, in its entirety, aloud. People wouldn't have had their own copies. They would have just heard the Word of God in house churches, and the letters would have been passed around. 
And sometimes what happens is when we think of a famous verse or something like that, we kind of take that verse out of its wider context and we build a theology around that individual moment rather than the bigger story. And I think this is a great example of that. So if you were to ask me before I kind of spent time with this in the last few weeks, Josh, what does the Bible say about anxiety? I would have started in verse 6. If we could have the text back up. And this is what it would say. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, that verse seems to say, don't be anxious, pray about it. Don't be anxious, pray about it. Don't be anxious, pray about it. Now, the subtlety and the nuance, guys, of isolating that one verse from the verse before is that sometimes we can believe that actually I am the solution to my anxiety. If only I prayed more. If only I asked God harder. If I only loved God more, then maybe I'd feel less anxious. And if I still feel anxious, it's clearly because I'm not doing enough. I'm not praying hard enough. I'm not trusting enough. And then I feel guilty. And then I feel more anxious. Then I feel more hopeless. But the verse actually before, I think, is game-changing if we read it in its context. Verse 5. And actually, remember, there's no verse numbers. This is not a different verse. This is not a different topic. And actually, this is how the ESV phrases verse 5 and 6. We get to the next line up. This is what it says. This is the start of a sentence in the original language. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Can you see the difference in those two things? One of them says, don't be anxious, pray about it. This one starts with, the Lord is near, so don't be anxious. Do you see that? Do you see there's a really different thing? And I think... Often we take one verse out and say, this is the one verse which speaks of anxiety. But I think we need to broaden our eyes and our, and our hearts to what the whole Bible says. This is what Paul writes. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious. If anxiety is solved by me being better and me praying harder, then it feels completely impossible if I'm really honest with you. It feels unattainable. My life my heart, my thoughts so easily drift to a place of anxiety and worry and reactivity and blame shifting and quick fix solving. Paul seems to be telling me, just don't be anxious and go and pray about it. If we begin there, then ultimately, then we think we're the solution to our own anxieties. But the sentence doesn't start there. It starts here. The Lord is near, so don't be anxious. To the original listeners, they would have heard this. And these listeners, remember, they were themselves under threat of execution. They were being rounded up and put in prison and separated from their families. They were under incredible persecution. And Paul is writing to them saying this. He says, the Lord is near, so don't be anxious. And here is the one. If you take away anything from this message today, here's one I want you to say. The answer to our anxiety is not the absence of pain, but it's the presence of Jesus. He is near. Paul says the Lord is near. Who is the Lord? Well, it's the Lord Jesus. He's the Lord who lived and died and was buried and he rose again. He's the Lord who defeated death, hell, the devil, the power of sin, who rose in victory. 
who stands right now at the right hand of the Father, uh, sits at the right hand of the Father, praying for us. Paul says, I want you to know, church, when you're feeling anxious, that he is close to you. He is nearby. He doesn't start by saying, go and pray more. He starts by saying, I want you to know that Jesus is close to you. And when you know the nearness of Jesus, when you know the closeness and the tenderness, tenderness and the presence of Jesus, the fact that he's right there with you, it changes everything. The Lord is near. I had this just with Ivy. It was a really creepy moment, actually. She came up to me and she said, Daddy, scary faces. And I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> what's going on? Daddy, see scary faces. And I said, okay, look, Daddy's here. I am with you, and Jesus is with you. Let's pray. And we just spent a moment just talking to Jesus about a little, her fears, and to be honest, my fears, because she slept like a baby that night. And I'm like, where are the scary faces? <laughs> and we just prayed, but acknowledging that Jesus was nearby and Daddy was close and holding her in her arms changed everything. She's not even mentioned the scary faces they've left. So church, dealing with our anxiety, becoming a non-anxious presence has nothing to do with us conjuring up better emotions or tricking our brain into feeling happier. It has nothing to do with us controlling our external circumstances to create a pain-free external world. It has everything to do with the presence of Jesus with you. Paul says, the Lord is near. But then he builds on that. And, And I hope you know that what I'm saying is not we shouldn't pray. Paul says, I want you to pray. We must pray. And my second point is prayer. But I think it's important to acknowledge that Paul says the, the, the foundation of our anxiety uh, or living as a non-anxious presence is that Jesus is here right next to us with us and he's experienced it all. So Paul says, the Lord is near. And then he says, pray. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Connection to a God that is close is the answer. So many of you may be thinking tonight, well, what is prayer? I would say prayer is simply talking to Jesus. Paul says this, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer, petitions, and thanksgiving, uh, place your request before God and his peace will be with you. So in every situation, guys, in every anxiety-inducing moment, in every place of pain and exhaustion and panic and fear, head towards the Lord who is close to you. Head towards the Lord who is already there waiting for a conversation, who there offers you his remarkable peace. He says, talk to him. Create a habit of processing how you feel in the safest place you could possibly imagine, which is the lap of your heavenly Father. I wonder how many of us really are anxious about everything because we pray about nothing. I wonder how many of us struggle to be honest and real with our feelings, even with God. It's a very real thing. I want to encourage you tonight to not run away from God, not try and escape the problem. Don't blame, don't react, don't look for quick fix answers. Get close to Jesus who is close to you and just talk. Share what's on your heart. Paul says, pray. Notice the description for how Paul describes our prayer life. He says prayer should be in every situation. He, he says, uses the words prayer and supplication. He says, with thanksgiving. And he said, give, give requests. 
Paul says, pray about everything. Whatever you're going through, talk to your heavenly Father. He's not a God who is far away, but a God who is close, who loves you and loves to listen to you. He says, give thanks. Show gratitude. Be thankful for what you have and what God has done in your life. I'm a big believer that gratitude shifts our perspective. When we begin to thank God for what he's done, it becomes less about me, 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 and more about, wow, if you've done it back then, you can do it again. You're a God actually who is faithful in every season of life. Gratitude changes us. It changes things. It shifts our perspective. It renews our hope. It reminds us that we serve a God of breakthrough and hope. I read a study done recently on a large number of people. They were told to give a, uh, keep a weekly journal, just a few sentences each week about their life. Now, they were split into two groups. Half of them were encouraged to focus on things that they were thankful for, uh, the blessings of life. The other half were told to focus on what wasn't going right, the frustrations or the irritations. It was discovered after this study was that those that expressed gratitude were happier, more optimistic, and felt better about their lives. They exercised more and went to the doctors less than those who stayed away from gratitude. Isn't that interesting? So there is a reason Paul invites us to the practice of gratitude that is actually good for us. It's good for our souls and our minds and our bodies. And finally, Paul says, give your requests to God. Give your requests. Tell him what you need. He's a good father who loves you, who loves it when you come to him and say, oh, do you know what? I'd really love this. I really thought this is the desire of my heart, God. Um, I think God loves it when that happens. So we've got presence, then we've got prayer. It's a really simple sermon. I'm coming into land now. And the final step is to receive his peace. Receive his peace. And it's a peace that goes beyond understanding. This is the promise for followers of Jesus, guys, that peace is possible. Inner peace. It is possible for you to live and exist in an anxious world and yet be calm and still and at peace on the inside. In a world where everything is in turmoil, crisis after crisis, cost of living, narratives of anxiety and scarcity, wars and rumors of wars, political and social division, cultural breakdown, it is possible to live in the midst of all that and yet still live at peace. Now notice that the peace Jesus offers us is beyond understanding. I would say that's a peace you can't argue into on social media. It is a peace that doesn't make sense with the world. It is a peace which is countercultural and completely radical. It is a peace which I believe is God given, not earned. It's a peace birthed in a life with God connected to your Creator, with Him at the center. Jesus wants to give you His peace. He wants to give you his peace. The message translation of this verse says this, it's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. So when we pray, we offer Jesus our anxieties and our worries and our fears, and he takes them. And in a beautiful exchange, he gives us, he, he displaces them, he replaces them with little by little his stunning peace. Jesus is the only one that can set us free. 
He's the only one that can lead us into life. He's the only one that can bring us real hope. It's only in encountering Jesus and spending time in his presence and hearing his voice and his heartbeat for us and and being called out into the identity that he has got for us. It's only in meeting Jesus that we truly experience life and life to the full. And it starts with talking with God, creating space every day in our lives. He wants you to come to him with all your stuff. And as we pray, here's the promise that God's peace will be with us. There's something about the process of prayer which releases peace over our hearts and our emotions and our minds. And if we want to receive the peace that goes beyond understanding, how many of you know we have to relinquish our need to fully understand? We often want all the answers right here, right now. But the peace that Jesus offers takes us to a place where we don't need them anymore. Why? Because we trust him. Because he is good. So Philippians 4 paints a picture of what it looks like to live as a non-anxious presence. And I would submit to us tonight, it starts with knowing that the Lord is near. Recognizing that he's close to us. And then moving from a place of knowing that he's close to encountering him personally for every single one of ourselves, not praying to a God who is distant or dormant or dead, but a God that is close and nearby and engaging in intimacy and relationship with the risen Christ. And then as we pray, as we bring it all before him in a stunning exchange, he takes our worries and anxieties little by little and gives us his beautiful peace. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.